Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. ESPN Radio. I don't know if it's shelter that they necessarily need, but uh, certainly a renewal for what was the Pac-12 and is now the Pac-4. Welcome back. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks for starting your week with us. If you missed anything in the first hour, the Montana Football Hour, we talked all-conference realignment and how does it impact all the schools out west, particularly in the Mountain West and the Big Sky, what dominoes could fall? What do the ideal leagues look like? And I also gave you some of the details on all the things that it takes to actually move up. All of it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the Montana State Bookstore. Visit msubookstore.org. Keep those texts coming in, 406-888-1029. That's 888 888- 1029. Good one here. This is from a listener. The listener says, I believe Montana, Montana State must position themselves in the level right beneath the Power Five. The fracturing of the Power Five away from the rest of college football is not a matter of if but when. I agree. The Montanas belong in the tier below the Power Five. Staying put could risk missing out on the opportunity to realign with peer institutions in the new division that is likely to form. I totally agree. We've been talking about this all summer long. My question is, though, where do you get the money? The primary revenue generation for both athletic departments, Montana and Montana State right now, is ticket sales, particularly football ticket sales. How do you how do you sell more tickets than selling out every game? You can't. So the only way to make more money on ticket sales would, would be to expand the stadiums. Well, how do you do that? Uh, you got to have money. Okay, other ways that you could have funding. You need state money. Well, given the state of affairs and the the current uh, legislature and governor in Montana, I don't think that the state is going to be that willing to subsidize college athletics further than it already is to take taxpayer money to help uh, the two institutions move up. Just because there's just not as much of a guarantee. If there was a, a, a offer made from the Mountain West or another conference that had guaranteed football TV money in it, then maybe it becomes more realistic. Maybe you can talk the Board of Regents and the state legislature into giving you more money. But it just seems like chicken, egg, chicken, egg. What comes first? The last way to generate revenue is student, well, not the last way, but the other primary way that schools generate revenue is student athletic fees. Well, for student athletic fees to be impactful, you need to have 25, 30,000 students like Sacramento State and NAU and UC Davis does as opposed to, you know, less than 10,000 students like Montana does. Montana State's got booming enrollment right now, but they're still half of what Sac State and NAU are. So there's just a lot of, of financial question marks that need to be answered for Montana and Montana State to be able to move up to the FBS or anywhere. A couple more notes from over the weekend. 35 players were named to each the Walter Payton Award watch list and the Buck Buchanan Award watch list given to the top uh, offensive and defensive players in the FCS. 
Here's the uh, Buck Buchanan Award watch list nominees from the Big Sky Conference. Sebastian Valdez, a junior defensive lineman at Montana State. Armand Bailey, a senior linebacker at Sac State. David Hogue, a senior linebacker at Northern Colorado. Winston Reed, a senior linebacker at Weber State, who's the preseason Big Sky Player of the Year. Maxwell Anderson, who's a senior defensive back at Weber. And Rex Connors, who is a sophomore defensive back at UC Davis. The uh, Walter Payton Award watch list features a handful of Big Sky guys. Hayden Hatton, the preseason player of the year in the league, junior receiver from Idaho. Marshall Martin, a senior uh, tight end from Sac State. Those are the two skill guys. And then quarterbacks times three on the Walter Payton Award watch list. Miles Hastings of UC Davis, Tommy Mallott of Montana State, and Giovanni McCoy of Idaho. Those three in that order were the first, second, and third team all-league quarterbacks in the Big Sky last year. So a lot of respect for the quarterbacks coming out of the league. I also thought it was striking that there's not a running back from the Big Sky Conference on the Walter Payton Award watch list. That's not to say that there won't be by the time the, the voting comes around. I do think guys like Marcus Fulcher at Sac State, um, a variety of guys at Weber State, maybe the young man we just heard from, Julius Davis at Montana State. There, there's some guys that have the opportunity to, to rise up. Anthony Woods at Idaho is another one. But there's not that uh, sort of headlining All-American type running back in the league this year, which is a... a it's a departure from what we've seen the last several years because there's been so many sort of household name type running backs. Alonzo Gilliam at UC Davis, Josh Davis at Weber State, Isaiah Fonse at Montana State. Marcus Knight was an All-American at Montana before he went through all that he went through at, at UM. Uh, Elijah Dotson made his name as an all-conference guy, both Sac State and Northern Colorado. So there's a lot of great running backs in the league last couple years. Who's the next guy that sort of makes themselves into a household name? Uh, we shall see. I want to talk some NFL, but first I want to talk a little bit more college football. Um, Andrew, I know you just got back from uh, Grizz football practice. You got to actually see him in action for an extended period of time for the first time in a little while. What did you What did you think? Yeah, well, first off, thanks to Tommy Evans for, uh, yeah, for thanks, sitting Tommy. in and letting me hang out down there for the whole practice. Here's, uh, here's something that's amazing. I asked Tommy, I figured if there's any sports thing that Tommy would know about, it would be the phenomenon of Jake and Logan Paul because Tommy monitors TikTok and YouTube TikTok. and all this stuff. He had no idea about these guys. That's the first millennial thing I've ever known over Tommy. <laughs> anyways, we're going to come back to that a little later on. But uh, anyways, continue on the Grizz. Uh, quick business-like two hours for the Grizz today. They wrapped up pretty quickly. Uh, you know, the intensity was there, as it always was, uh, but I thought it was a little bit more more focused today. Uh, I mean, if you think back to last year, really the intensity just overwhelmed everything else yeah. from their first couple practices at fall camp. Uh, today it looked like they were they were focused on what they needed to get done, focused on what the practice schedule was. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously too early to um, make any big prognostications or pronouncements, but but it looked good. The, uh, the the couple little... I was only there for a little while, but the couple little things I noticed. One, you can absolutely tell there's a new offensive coordinator. Brent Pease is running the show. I wasn't even analyzing the play calling. Just, I mean, he's everywhere. He was working with all the groups. He was d- commanding traffic. <laughs> I was in his way. One Myself and Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, were in his way one time. He said, get the heck out of here. Get out of my way. <laughs> so so uh, certainly they got a new general running the offense. That was very clear. I watched all the quarterbacks. Um, 
Pease is also coaching the quarterbacks. Anybody that knows anything about Brent Pease knows that he is, um, how do you say, he's a very stern and demanding coach. <laughs> but I thought this was a, an inter- interesting moment. The freshman, and, he, and, you know, it's tough being a freshman in the Grizz football program for sure. But Gage Slider out of Kalispell Glacier and uh, Kilani Ayat out of Hawaii, those two guys, uh, they were doing individual drills and they were throwing to the net. And those guys were were struggling a little bit. And, and one time Slider, he, he airmailed a throw over the net he was supposed to be thrown into. Pease says, well, if you make a bleepity bleep throw, you got to go get the ball yourself. So Slider goes and gets it. But then the next two that Slider threw were absolute darts. That's what you want to see out of a freshman is responding to the hard coaching. Ayat made himself do push-ups every time he didn't have a perfect throw. And uh, he also responded from his first bad throw uh, to, to throw a couple ropes. I thought Sam Bidlack's arm talent looks good. I thought Clifton McDowell's arm talent looks good. But the guy, and you know, here's the thing. This is going to be the narrative around this guy until he, he rewrites the narrative. The guy who's the best-looking quarterback when nobody's wearing pads and nobody's going against defenses is Chris Brown. I mean, he throws an absolute laser. He's 6'4", 220, and just a perfect-looking athlete. And, uh, you know, I I guess we've said this for two years in a row now, but uh, Chris Brown looked pretty dang good today. Again, it's not against the defense. There's no pads on, but... uh, you can see why they keep hanging on to a glimmer of hope about this guy. He looks the same as he has for, what is this, the third year third of year. ball camp yep. now? Uh, he, he sounds the same as he does for, for three straight years now. I mean, for three straight years, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's kind of been the guy. The first day of fall camp, you talk to the quarterbacks after. Sure. He's been in that scrum for three years, and he's yep. saying the, th- the same thing. You know, he welcomes the competition. He's trying to get better every day. I mean, he was saying it with a little smile on his face this year. Because I think he he recognizes a little bit how ridiculous it is yep. uh, that he's been asked the same questions for three years in a row, but he he handled it really well, <laughs> and that'll be an interesting one to watch. I mean, Bobby Houck has not shied away from the fact that he thinks there are three quarterbacks in this competition for sure. Uh, he thinks there are three good quarterbacks in this competition, and, and like I wrote on Skyline Sports. If Chris Brown does put it all together this year, he could just win that job outright. Like, it's it's unlikely to happen. It's unlikely. But he's young enough and his tools are good enough that, like you said, that's why you don't give up on a kid like that. There's, there's quarterbacks that don't have physical gifts that can learn the position and become adequate to very good at the position. But if you're not born with the gifts, you can't ever attain those gifts. Whereas on the other side of it, Chris Brown has all the gifts. So then how does he, how does he figure out a way to operate fluidly in an 11-on-11 situation when the bullets are live and the other team wants to rip your head off? But I think that Montana's in a power position because the worst-case scenario for this deal is that Chris Brown's your third-string quarterback. That's an absurdly talented third-string quarterback in the Big Sky Conference. And then the best-case scenario is that he figures it out, and then all of a sudden, well, now you have a real competition, and you have multiple viable options under center. That's what I wrote. I mean, he's hilariously overqualified. Idaho State would love to have Chris Brown, To be a third-stringer, and he's still pretty good if he's your backup. (laughs) There are a lot of teams in the Big Sky Conference with worse backup quarterbacks than Chris Brown. So we'll see how that quarterback competition plays out. We talked to Sam Vidlak, talked to Clifton McDowell as well after practice, so we'll have some of that sound for you later this week. 
Uh, no Nick Osmo today. He was on the sidelines. He, he looked fine. I don't know if they just want to keep some wear and tear off of him. Yeah. Uh, the He's other coming group back I was from real- something, too, I think, right? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. The other thing I was really watching today was the quarterbacks. Yeah, how'd they look? They looked good. You know, Jelani Warren looks good. Trevin Gradney looks physically yeah. very developed this year, and I think that's the guy who they kind of want to, to seize the job there. I mean, that's the way that Montana wants to do things. Trevin Gradney's been in the program for, what, three years now, two plus a red shirt? That's right. He's the guy who they want to the, to seize that job Maybe across from Corbin Walker. But they've brought in depth in this offseason. Ronald Jackson, the Akron transfer, looks good. Uh, Jelani Warren look, looked okay, and, and the new Juco guy, Lamar Campbell, looks good, too. The other couple things, and again, I, I, I was there for less than an hour, but a couple things, I, I got stuck watching the quarterbacks for a little while. I also watched the running backs and the quarterbacks because they were doing a, sort of a mesh drill where they were practicing handoffs and pitches and stuff. I said this off the top, but Eli Gilman looks great. That was the guy that I've been hearing rumblings out of the program that had the best offseason. Well, I shouldn't say the best offseason, but the offseason where he could take a huge jump from being a red shirt to maybe being a, a if not the lead back uh, in the Grizz offense. And then the other thing I watched, mostly because they practice off to the side when they're doing individual stuff, was the defensive line. And it's a very easy analysis watching the defensive line, what looks different. Barry Sachs isn't there going crazy, running around, screaming, yelling. I, I was. It, it took me a minute to, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the guys, evaluating their, their physical makeup, and uh, it took me a little while to find where Mike Linehan even was at. And then I found him. You can never miss Coach Sachs. Uh, he was just a ball of energy, and he'd be screaming and yelling and saying what's up to you while he's also coaching his guys, and, and uh, so certainly we'll miss him. But I'm just so interested to see how that group acclimates to uh, a new voice. And then the last group I watched just for a brief moment was the tight ends because there's a lot of work to be done for the tight ends with Cole Grossman uh, out for the season with a knee injury. Um, Joey Elwell and Peyton Brammer both stepping away from the program because of injuries. But the one guy that physically stood out, it's hard to miss him, is Jake Olson. I mean, he's 6'7", 250 from Butte, America. Uh, he's a guy that was uh, an excellent pass-catching target in high school there for the Bulldogs. Uh, is he ready to be uh, one of those top guys at the tight end spot? Montana's been known to play two and three tight end sets often since Bobby Hout came back. We know that Eric Barker's a guy. Who are the other guys going to be at that tight end spot? I think it'd be a great story and also would be uh, a testament to development if uh, if if Jake Olson could rise up and take one of those spots uh, there at the tight end position. You know, they've got a bunch of guys who look really good at that tight end position, who, who look really good. I mean, the yeah. two transfers that they brought in, Evan Schaefer and Joseph Gresmack, physically imposing guys. Uh, not a good day for the tight ends in the team period. Mm. Uh, Schaefer had a drop in 11-11. Barker had a drop on a, on a really good throw up the seam from Vidlak in 11-11. Um, we'll see. Jake Olson did have a nice catch. Uh, that's one that's going to take time to sort itself out, and I think you saw that in the offseason. The Grizz knew that they were facing some uncertainty there because they did bring in Two transfer tight ends in, in Schaefer and Gresmack. You want us now? ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Silver Slipper has 55 TVs for you to watch all the sports, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. Slipper will have it on for you. They have drink specials every day, 20 keto machines, a liquor store, and pizza. There's nowhere else you should be watching your favorite team at the Slipper. It's all about great food, tasty drinks, 
and the urge to have a good time. Stop by today and see why the slipper is one of Montana's best-kept secrets. NFL, Women's World Cup, and Jake Paul. Bunch coming up here in hour number two. Keep it right here. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. And Dwight, your father founded Schulte Law Firm in 1987 and since then has mediated more than 3,000 family law and divorce cases. Why is he so good at that sort of law? Well, he is a smart and patient man. A lot of situations where you find yourself in need of attorney are a high conflict situation. And it's really important. And it's a a tenet of our firm that we work through litigious issues in a collaborative way. It's important at Schulte Law Firm that when we're litigating these very serious issues that impact people's lives, that we do so in a way that provides the best representation and the best result to our clients. And what we have found is that the best way to do that is to litigate these issues effectively while doing so with a high degree of professionalism. We can have these disagreements without making it personal. Visit jshultilaw.com. He's new on his now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuanas. Appreciate you for joining us. Thanks to Tommy Evans for the assist on the fly earlier today, and uh, thanks to Andrew Houghton for uh, taking it in, stem to stir in the first Montana Grizz football practice uh, of the year. I'm going to make it over to Bozeman for a little practice action here a little later on this month as well. And uh, we're less than a month away from... September 2nd, the openers for both the Grizz and the Cats. Grizz open up against Butler at high noon, and the Cats open up against Utah Tech at 6 p.m. Our travels to and from those games will be part of our Brawl of the Wild by the Mile, presented by Town Pump. Town Pump's keeping us fueled up all season long for the second season in a row. Appreciate them for getting us across the state of Montana and all around the uh, Big Sky Conference. A ton of stuff is going down in the sports world right now. College football here in the Treasure State is uh, fastly approaching. College football on the national level is fastly eroding, crumbling, realigning. I don't know what word you want to use. I want to know if there's anybody out there that's happy about this. To me, it's just so uh, egregiously blatant how much this is all about money. And that's hard to palate when you, you want it to be about more than just that. But I'm not naive to realize that money is an essential part of of all of our day-to-day operations. I just hope it's not the only, the most essential, the only priority that just gets us into such a sticky situation, morally, societally, culturally, all of it. So, I don't know. What do you think? 406-888-1029. Keep the texts coming in. A couple other things from over the weekend, though. I would argue one of 
the biggest upsets in the history of international sporting competition involving teams from the United States occurred in the wee hours of Sunday morning. I must say I only got to watch the Women's World Cup uh, United States national team one time because there was only one match that was at any sort of decent time. So uh, watched them in the uh, the second match that they had where they tied the Netherlands one-to-one. But now the World Cup came to an end uh, for the United States national team. They lost to Sweden on Sunday morning, and that means they only had one win during this uh, last couple weeks there in New Zealand and Australia. They beat Vietnam 3-0. to Then they had a couple ties during the group stage, and then they went one and done during the knockout stage. Uh, I think it's on par, if not superior, to the the time that the United States men's national team lost in basketball. Where are you at with this, Andrew? Well, I think it's certainly their result, their worst result ever at the World Cup. I don't think anything really comes close to that. It's so difficult to puzzle out all of the the ramifications of this, where the blame goes. Um, but yeah, it was it was legitimately shocking to watch. So I stayed up and watched it. Kicked off at three a.m. Mountain Time on on Sunday morning, as you mentioned. I stayed up and watched it, and it was just. A surreal experience, not only because it was that late, but, you know, the U.S. dominated this game. And in a lot of other games that play out this way, the U.S. is going to win, right? They had 22 shots to Sweden's nine. The Sweden Swedish goalkeeper makes 11 saves, which is like Tim Howard against Belgium back in 2012-level heroics. So they had their chances. They just couldn't get it done, and then they go up... In the penalty kick shootout, they have a chance to win it. Sophia Smith, who, who's been sort of the breakout star of this team, puts the potential clinching penalty wide. Uh, and then uh, Kelly O'Hara misses hers. The U.S. goalkeeper saves Sweden's winning penalty, but it rolls kind of back across the line as she's trying to save it. Crosses the line by by a millimeter, and that's sort of the end. And it was completely anticlimactic and and wild and and just a, an unbelievable way to go out. I know you you say that that America dominated this game, but then lost in penalty kicks, and that's part of it's part of soccer in general. But and again. I only watched one match, but just given the the narrative around this team, while from like a betting perspective and just a, a analysis perspective, this is a giant failure by America, and this is a giant upset to have the United States out after the first round of the knockout round. Yet still, because of this this chatter that sort of surrounded it, I'm I'm not surprised. It, it just seemed like this team was teetering, or there was something there was something that just wasn't clicking about this team for some reason since basically the first the first match. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I guess what I would say is that despite the fact that they, you know, they played better in the draw against the Netherlands in the group stage, they played better in the draw against Portugal in the group stage even though they didn't play very well in that game at all. I st- still think they were the better team. And they were certainly the better team against Sweden in the knockout round. None of that makes them immune from criticism, right? And I think that there are completely fair things to criticize about this team. Yeah. Particularly what I didn't like, Coulter, was a lot of the the tactical decisions. And particularly, I mean, the United States women's national team has the deepest roster in the world. 
Yes. Right? We, we have the most talent in the world. Why are you making one substitution in regular time? You know, in the, in the game <laughs> right. against Sweden, brought on, brought on Megan Rapino first. And I, I thought that, you know, Megan Rapino is an, is an icon both on and off the field to mm-hmm. a lot of people in this country. She's yep. at one point was the greatest women's soccer player in the world. I mean, she won the golden ball that 2019 World Cup year. Incredible player. She's had an incredible career. I thought it was obvious from the first group stage game against Vietnam that her touch was gone. Yeah. And that's sort of the thing. I mean, she's that, the oldest player on the team, right? So that's not that surprising. So her 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 physicality and her speed has been gone. I thought it was clear that her touch had sort of deserted her too, and you saw it uh, sort of down the stretch against Sweden. Her, her service from corners and from free kicks was not good. Every corner was hitting the first man, and I just thought that you have so many other options on this team. You don't have to go to her off the bench. Uh, You can make more substitutions. The U.S. should be making five substitutions. as That's the the most she can have in a game. U.S. should be doing that every game, and they were just waiting and waiting. Um, They never really tried anything different. They didn't go away from Alex Morgan at striker, even though they weren't scoring goals through the back half of that group stage, and then, of course, uh, against Sweden. It just never really felt right, because even as they were dominating games, they were struggling to score, and they weren't changing anything right. to try to fix that problem. That That's where I thought that this thing went awry. And I, again, I didn't watch much of it, but I read all about it, and I just thought that the fact that there was this sort of narrative about the the shortcomings and that nothing was really being done about those shortcomings but also in a in a tournament like the world cup you only have such a finite amount of matches to actually turn something around so a lot of times when a problem is a problem there's not really any way you can fix that i i guess they did have five days between the group stage and the knockout round but still uh, the, the point is that the united states women's national team get knocked out in the first knockout round, knockout stage of the Women's World Cup. Uh, an enormous upset, to be sure. Nuwana is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. This is from Pete Thamel of ESPN. Utah State expected to hire Big Ten Deputy Commissioner Deanna Sabo as the school's next athletic director. Why is that impactful to those listening to the show? Well, Jerry Bovey, who's the former Weber State Athletic Director and had been the associate AD there at Utah State, he had been the interim AD at uh, Utah State since John Hartwell resigned some months ago. And uh, Bovey has direct connections to several athletic directors in the Big Sky Conference, and other athletic administrators as well. So there was a thought that if Jerry Bovey went from interim to full-time AD there at Utah State, that could then have some dominoes that fell uh, within the Big Sky. But instead, Utah State goes outside of the family tree, and uh, they hire uh, Big Ten Deputy Commissioner Diana, Sa- Diana excuse me, Sabo uh, as their next AD. Uh, interesting. Text from a listener. Power conference jumps disgusting and so disrespectful of regional fan bases. Hope Montana schools find a way to keep their costs manageable and stay with their Western regional rivals. Uh, Andrew, I don't know if you were listening yet or not, if you were still taking in Grizz practice, but based on all the reading, and I read a lot about this this weekend, because as depressing as this is, it fascinates me because of the 
the intertwinings of um, the business side, the regionality side, what goes into making moves as an athletic department. But from everything that I read, I think that the, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, the Pac-4, whatever you want to call it, is, is done. I, I think Cal and Stanford are going to have to make their own decisions, whether that's ACC or independent or reallocation or whatever it might be. But I think that Washington State, Oregon State are going to be left out in the cold. They're going to have to find new friends to play with. Well, the uh, after hearing what, what Wyoming's AD had to say about all this over the weekend, he basically formed an alliance with the other schools that he called the front schools, which are like the Rocky Mountain Front. That's Utah State, Colorado State, Air Force, and New Mexico. So here's what I think is going to happen. I think Oregon State, Washington State are going to rally up with San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, UNLV, Nevada, Boise State, and Hawaii. That's nine teams. Then I think if they want to add, they'll go after probably in order Sac State, NAU, and UC Davis. If they don't want to add, those are going to be the primary candidates for this other sort of front school or this front conference, Rocky Mountain Front Conference. But if they do go after those ones, then I think that the primary candidates to join Wyoming, Utah State, Colorado State, Air Force, and New Mexico will be Montana, Montana State, Weber State, and Idaho. If the dust settled and there's a new conference that's FBS that features Wyoming, Utah State, Colorado State, Air Force, New Mexico, the Montana schools, the Dakota schools, and maybe Weber and Idaho sounds pretty okay to me. What, what would you think of that? Well, that sounds great to me. I just... You don't know how to fund it. That's the problem. No, I, th- I think you could fund it. I, I think that would work. I just... Well, first of all, what this entire sort of sordid affair has sort of put me in the mindset is of, of not expecting things to work out in any way that makes sense for us right. as fans diagramming these sort of conferences in our head. Uh, I just feel like that's not a consideration. Uh, you know, what we think makes sense and might work out is just not a consideration for the people who are making these decisions. Um, I think the other thing is, I think you can figure out how to fund it. The issue is if we're taking, if we're talking two FBS level leagues in the West. Yeah. Where does the TV money come from? Because the Mountain West right now has a deal with primarily CBS and Fox also gets some of their games. Right. Does now CBS take one of these new conferences and Fox takes the other? Does the sort of remnants of this Pac-12 Apple streaming deal turn into a potential deal for this conference? Because I think the one thing that we've learned here, and you, of course, have been saying this the entire time, the TV money drives all of this. That's right. It's so all about in, the TV money. I think having a Rocky Mountain Front Conference with, with those schools that you laid out is is a great idea. It will never come to fruition. The TV deal is a prerequisite. That's right. So, they, so it's sort of worthless even to talk about it until we talk about right. where the TV money, money is coming from. And that's the, the biggest problem with that theoretical conference is... Laramie, Wyoming, Logan, Utah, Fort Collins, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Bozeman, Montana, Missoula, Montana, Ogden, Utah, Bosco, Idaho. Those are all towns I love, but they're towns. They're not cities. And that's the biggest problem is where's the TV money come from? That said, where the Pac-12 was stuck at 
is they were getting $22 million per school for TV money, which is way more than the Mountain West and way, way more than the Big Sky, but not nearly enough to keep up with the other Power not Five. Enough. That's why Oregon State and Washington State are just screwed. They're just totally screwed by this because they're never going to get back up into a conference where they're getting $22 million per school in TV money. I think everybody else, though, could find a way to have more TV money. Right now, the Mountain West schools are getting paid between 6 and $8 million. Some of the Mountain West, like the San Diego States of the world, if they were to rally up with Oregon State and Washington State, they could make more in TV money. And then maybe there's just a piece of the pie left. This would, I think that the schools from the Mountain West that would have to align with other Big Sky schools would suffer, but the schools from the Big Sky that got to align with those Mountain West schools or even schools from the Missouri Valley as well, they'd benefit because they would get at least a couple million in TV money, which is a heck of a lot more than they're getting right now. But who holds the power when it comes to putting this arrangement together? Not the Big Sky schools potentially moving up who are going to benefit. That's the other thing I'll remind people because this has been just absolutely blowing up Twitter. I put a thread on there yesterday to try to explain some of the ins and outs of the financials of all of this. But the thing, one thing you have to, have to, have to remember is that the people that are making these decisions when it comes to conference realignment are not the athletic directors. They're not the football coaches. They're not the student athletes. They're the university presidents. To say that you can predict what a university president is going to do when it comes to the world of college athletics, it's a fool's errand, man. You just you can't predict it. And I, I'll go all the way back to what I led the show with. Stanford's the one school that dug its heels in and said, we're not chasing the almighty dollar. We have the best overall athletic department in the country. We're going to stand on our own success. We don't want to just make tens and tens of millions of dollars doing this. What we make now is fine for us because we fully fund all 32 varsity athletic sports. Yet then Stanford, because they have this moral upstanding position, is left out to dry. And, uh, you know, these these conference or these uh, these university presidents, I should say, they can talk about strength in numbers and changing the future and, you know, all these different things. This is about money. That's all it's about is money. And uh, I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a bad day. But I think once all this shakes out, I think there's a lot of optimistic opportunities for almost all of the schools out west. I just feel really bad for Oregon State and Washington State. That that's the, the those are the two that I really don't know where they turn, but anywhere that they do turn is going to be worse than they once were. It's going to be a step down, but you you have to look at it. I mean, there's nothing they can do about it now. That's right. but is there a chance they end up though in one in a Western Conference out here where they actually still are maintaining? At least some regional rivalries. I know with with USC, UC, all of the previous Pac-12 schools gone. Yeah, it sort of turns it into a farce. But like, there's a chance here if these programs are able to work together and cooperate, possibly on a conference structure like you were talking about. They're like the West is the last sort of bastion of college football regionality left in the country. Right. Aside from, I guess, the SEC, but even then, the SEC still takes. Has Missouri <laughs> right. in it? You know, like, right. is, is it possible where the only place where teams from a region are still playing other teams from that region is the West? And then it turns out that people like that shocker. Uh, and, and <laughs> right, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna hit an, an almighty oil gusher of money away from that. But I think there is a place to have meaningful competition and certainly uh, more than enough money to survive uh, if you're doing that. 
it'll be fascinating to see as the world of college football turns. It's Nuwana's now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. I have a question about Jake Paul. And more importantly, how all of this sort of ties together. It used to be that you have money generation and endorsement generation because of success. Now those two things don't go hand in hand. All that matters is your brand, your exposure, your ability to draw eyes and clicks and retweets and reposts and add to my stories and whatever the heck else all the kids are doing. We shall discuss that dynamic across the wide world of sports next. Keep it right here. It's Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. A lot of you guys are hot on this as well. College football realignment on overdrive. So what is now ESPN Radio. It's been a common talking point all summer long and, of course, throughout this show with all of the various fracturings that are happening. If you missed anything on this show, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M Store, and the MSU Bookstore. You can also find it archived on the ESPN MT app as well. Our conversation continues. Keep those texts coming in, even if they're after hours. We can get to them tomorrow. If school presidents are making the decision, I'll take Juan Cruzado over anybody in the United States, says a uh, listener. Why would any FBS conference that gives a care about football want to add Sac State, UC Davis, or NAU? None of those schools draw anything. There's no TV money to draw from any of them. That's where people are so confused. You're correct. Listener, you are correct in your assertion that there's a very small fan base for those schools compared to the Montana schools. But what the TV networks look at is the footprint that you can have. The Sacramento metropolitan area is 2.5 million people. Now, is there any draw for Sac State right now as an FCS school on TV? No, there's not. Is there any draw for UC Davis right now as an FCS school on TV? No, there's not. If they were FBS the draw would be massively increased. Do you want to know why? Because big fish, small pond, small fish, fish big pond, right? Montana, Montana State are the, the pro teams of the state of Montana. That's why they have such crazy great followings. They've also had a lot of success. There's also a lot of Montana kids that the programs have been built upon. But they're the big fish in the small pond. Sac State and UC Davis are way down the hierarchy of California's teams. But what if they're not in what if they're in the same division? Sac State has a higher enrollment probably I'm just completely spitballing here, but I bet you Sac State's enrollment and Fresno State's enrollment are are pretty comparable. UC Davis's enrollment is superior to to Fresno State and San Jose State, I can almost guarantee you that. So you have these huge enrollments, you got these big uh, uh, endowments, you have these Big alumni bases, and then you also got boosters. There's Sac State boosters right now that haven't given very much money to football because they're not trying to pour money into FCS football. If Sac State went FBS, now you got a lot more money there too. Plus, the state of California is subsidizing these schools at such an extreme level that that they don't they they could make a move a lot more fluently. They don't have to find where to come up with the money. They already know how to come up with the money because you're getting $25 million from the state of California to subsidize. You're getting millions and millions of dollars when it comes to student athletic fees because your enrollment's so high. So I get it. 
Way more people care about Montana, Montana State football. I'm not arguing that than NAU or UC Davis or Sac State or anybody else in the big sky. That's why we do this show right here from Montana. But you got to understand the things that go into this in the future. Andrew, did you find some statistics? I see you pulling the microphone forward. Yeah, well, yeah, I was looking at it. Yeah, Sac State uh, is like 30,000. Fresno State's like 25. So there you go. Sac State's significantly bigger than Fresno State. So you were dead on on that. UC Davis is like a little bit over 30,000. Yeah. So that's a huge difference, particularly compared with the Montana schools. I wonder if the point, though, about Montana's teams being the Pro teams for the entire state, right? Like, deserves a little bit more explanation, oh, right? It, like, shouldn't it, it absolutely does? Shouldn't people be considering the entire state of uh, Montana for, the for TV sure. footprint for sure? Sac- Sacramento, California has two point five million people. It does not. Sac- Sacramento County has uh, sure. one point okay. five uh, right. million. Right. Oh, okay, okay. So st- still, uh, you're right. S- Sacramento is bigger in population than the state of Montana. Yes. But what percentage of that population are you going to get to watch Sac State football? Even if you get I, I mean, I think 10% would be very, very generous. That's the thing about Montana. In Montana, half the state is one degree of separation That's away from saying. following the teams, and a quarter of the state is watching the games. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the, the broadcasts for the Grizz and the Cats games have hundreds of thousands of viewers, even though there's only one million people in the state. So it, it is a good point. You also have... Like, how many Sac State alumni are going to be just chomping at the bit to just tune into a Sac State game once they move up? I don't know. But Montana alumni, Montana State alumni are going to be chomping at the bit to watch the Cats and the Grizz no matter what division they're in. They can move up, down, laterally. They can join the Frontier Conference. People would still want to watch it. That's kind of my point. Yeah. Yeah, I I do think that if, you know, a Sac State has an undergrad population of 30,000, that is a large amount of grads that you're churning out every year who potentially could Uh, be interested if you move up. I mean, if Sac State is playing in a bowl game, how many of those people are interested? and, And that's the other part about this is the dynamic on campus. How many Sac State students right now on a Saturday go to a different bar to watch USC? Or drive back home to L.A. to watch UCLA or, or whatever. Watch it. Even if you go to school at Sac State, you probably have an affiliation with another California team or another team in general. Maybe boosting the level, you get the student body significantly more interested because they don't think, oh, it's just Division II football like so many folks that aren't engulfed in the FCS think. More on this subject, I promise you. From our perspective, this is going to be the gift that never stops giving just because the content is never going to end as all this realignment plays out. Keep the text coming in, 406-888-1029. That's 888-1029. We're uh, doing the NFL stuff later on this week. I just kicked it down the road um, because we just got rolling on this. So that's coming up. Uh, I also, though, ordered the Jake Paul fight on Saturday night because I just had to see for myself. When this guy first started uh, sort of transitioning from famous and infamous YouTuber to boxer, I should say prize fighter is is the best way to describe him, and he started challenging either washed-up boxers or guys that uh, were professional fighters but not in the boxing discipline. But then he had a big-time breakthrough, and he beat Tommy Fury, who lost to Tommy Fury, boxed Tommy Fury, who's a real... A real boxer, though. 
And he didn't get knocked. I mean, Andrew's giving me the eh. But what I'm saying is I watched him fight Nate Diaz on Saturday night. Nate Diaz is one of the great Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, masters on, on, the, on the earth. He is a, a UFC legend. And there was probably four times in the fight where if this thing was in the octagon and it was MMA rules, Nate Diaz is choking Jake Paul out for sure. But they had to stand toe-to-toe, and Jake Paul, they, he took him apart. And I was impressed with Jake Paul's skill, yet I still think if Jake Paul fought a, a real, true, you know, top 10 or 15 guy in his weight division that's in his prime right now, that he would get ruined. But I'm just trying to reconcile myself with the phenomenon that exists because of this. This guy's making millions and millions of dollars, and he's reviving boxing, but he's not actually reviving boxing because he's just reviving prize fighting and like this sideshow of boxing. I don't know. Talk me in or out of this. Cause I, I was at the same time, sort of impressed with, with Jake Paul's skill. I'm certainly very impressed with his business acumen, but all I kept thinking was if this guy fought, you know, Rojo Jr. in his pride, that Rojo Jr. would just ruin this guy. Yeah. Well, I think you're probably right to be impressed with his business acumen because of how carefully this thing has been managed. Right. I mean, it, Tommy Fury beat him pretty handily, and Tommy Fury is not... He's a real boxer, I guess, by a generous sense of the word. He's been a reality TV star over in the UK and, and kind of boxes, uh, and, and he beat Jake Paul pretty handily. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't take anything away from the money that he's been able to earn, obviously. I mean, sideshow sort of... Um, Gimmick matches have yes. have always been a part of the culture. That's true in in boxing and and you know even in some other sports. Uh, so so take nothing away from him there. I I just I still think it's good for the sport for the most popular part of the sport to be the sideshow part of it. It's not. It's, it's not. not. I mean, it, it's it's coming a week after Bud Crawford had one of the more impressive boxing performances. I think that the. the Bud Crawford, Errol Spence fight that's taken forever to make. Right. And Bud Crawford absolutely took him apart. For sure. And there are more people talking about Jake Paul this week. Is that <laughs> is that good? It's probably not good. But uh, we got to go, Coulter. 15 seconds. To be continued, Justin Angle will be in studio tomorrow. We'll talk all things college football realignment and Jake Paul. We also got our Grizz Star of the Week coming down the pipeline. High school football, college football, and everything in between. We'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that yeah. might, it must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with their shirt it. on, and it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Yeah, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. 
Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store, located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time.